If you have a Bible, uh, please open up to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. And we do have some spare Bibles around, so if you need one, put your hand up and no one can get them. They're just on the table over there. Matthew chapter 28. Um, Every week we preach through the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's Word. It's not just a helpful book, but it's the most necessary and sufficient book that we can have. It's it's revelation from the creator of the universe, which is awesome that we have it, uh, because it teaches us how to live and how to connect with him and how to make sense of life. Um, And as I said earlier, we've been going through a series which we've called Relaunch. Um, And the idea being, after church planting and then going online, we wanted to spend a bit of time thinking about how do we go about spreading the mission, spreading the message of Jesus, because he's so awesome, we want to keep doing that, we don't want to lose that as part of our DNA. Is that loud enough, or do you want to close up? Yeah, the closer would be better. Okay, there we go. Oh, hello. Closer still? You're going to say yes? Yeah, a little. Because I'm going to step back. Don't pump it. All right. How's that? Oh, hey. Okay. Everything. Or I could hold it, but that's going to get annoying. Um, Yeah, so we've been doing this series, and the first week we looked at this idea of Jesus seeks the lost. Um, And so. You know, all those who aren't yet followers of Jesus are considered sort of lost from God because they're not in relationship with God the Father. And so Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. And that's his mission. And we were saying that time that we're a part of that mission too. We get to be a part of seeking lost people and bringing them home to their eternal Father. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 1, which Henry read in the service about, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Uh, And we looked at that if you preach the gospel and people hear the message, lives change, eternities change by the simple message that Jesus Christ died and rose again for our sins. And if you put your faith in him, everything changes. That's the power of the gospel. This week, we're going to look at uh, the topic of today is called Disciple the Found. So if you seek the lost, you preach the gospel to them, they become Christians. What do you do next? Well, Jesus has a plan for that. It's called Discipling the Found, and that's our message for today. So I'm going to read Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. It's probably pretty familiar to you if you've been around church, but if you're not, this is Jesus' final words before he miraculously ascends into heaven. It's a very strange story to finish the New Testament Gospels off with. Jesus ascends into heaven, but before he does, after he's died and rose again, he says this to his closest followers. I'll actually start at verse 16, even though they won't have it on the screen. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we pray and ask that you would bless the teaching and preaching of your word this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, now if you can hear kids outside, that's because there are kids outside. Our kids' work is right through those blinds there, but hopefully it all works out. Um, we're about 
four years ago, I finished teaching. Um, I was a high school teacher at a school called Barker College. Awesome school, absolutely loved being a teacher there. In fact, some people here were students at that school. Um, but when I first got out of uni, I got my job at Barker. And when I was a brand new teacher, I had no idea what to do. I'd done one year of a teaching degree, and then I got this job at this awesome private school, and I had no idea um, what I was meant to do. But luckily, they had an induction kind of week, so I could learn what it meant, not just to be a teacher, but to be a Barker teacher. And so I rocked up to Barker, nervous as all, my wife can testify. We just had a newborn baby, Evie, who's now seven, uh, and she was like six days old or something when I started working at Barker. So I nervously said goodbye to Maddie and good luck. And then we went out and I went to this induction you know, day. And over that day, it was a really helpful time because I knew nothing really about the school. But over the course of the time, I learned about policies, I learned about the discipline structure, I learned even technology, I learned their values and their systems. And that went on for three or four days, and I started to get accustomed to what it meant to be not just a teacher, but a Barker teacher, to know what it looks like. And then over time, they kept on teaching me more and more things about being a Barker teacher, and they gave me the, the uniform so I could teach sport, they gave me the login so I could have a computer, and everything was making sense so that I wasn't just left completely on my own. Even three months into it, the deputy head of the school hosted a cheese and wine afternoon just to make sure we were doing well, and then six months in, they invited us in for an interview where we got to tell them how we were doing and what we thought of the school. You know, as a new teacher, new to the place, I desperately needed that kind of induction ceremony. I needed that level of training and formation because I knew nothing about the place. I didn't know how to be a Barker teacher. And the Christian faith can be a little bit like that. If you're new to it or even if you're old to it, there's so many aspects which are just confusing. It's hard to know how to follow God. It's hard to know what he expects of us. It's hard to know how to read the Bible and what it all means. And so Jesus didn't leave you know, the, the disciples and just say, all right, guys, go out, save the world, and all you've got to do is get them to be, you know, confess their sins and repent. He actually told them to do something more than that. He asked them to make disciples, basically to induct them in to the Christian faith. Commentator Michael Green says it like this. The apostles are not called to evoke decisions but to make disciples. And that is an altogether tougher assignment. The main point I want to teach on today is this. The mission of our church is to make disciples, not just decisions. The mission of the church is to make disciples and not just decisions. Now that's a nice little slogan, but what does that mean practically? Two simple points today. Point number one, the requirement of disciple-making. Point number two, the process of disciple-making. Let's jump into point number one. If you're taking notes, it's okay if you're not. The requirement of discipling the found. I'm going to read that passage again in case you missed it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's cool, hey? They were a Jewish group. All nations, all different types of people no matter their culture or ethnicity or divisions or race or status, all nations, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In this passage, we see that 
Jesus' followers are to go out to all people and tell them the incredible message of the gospel. The message that we heard last week that saves souls. The message that we're far from God just by nature. We're born separated from God and we need to be brought home again. Go tell them that message. But he says to do something more than that. He says to make disciples. So what is a disciple? It's a word that maybe you've heard many times before. We use it a lot in church, but it might be new to you. Simply this. A disciple is someone who follows and obeys a teacher. They conform their life to that teacher. They spend time with him. They aim to become like him. They do what he tells them to do. And so the job of the disciples and our job is to call people to become followers, copiers, and imitators of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's their job. That's what it means to make disciples. But why does Jesus want disciples? Why not just decisions? You know, if Jesus wants to seek and save the lost, and people are far from God, if, if you remain outside of God's love, you'll end up you know, in punishment and judgment from God. He wants to save souls. Why does he want disciples, though? Why does he want people to actually change their entire way of being? Why does he want them to give up following their own ways and follow his ways? It's such a higher call. It'd be a lot easier just for everyone to just say, I confess, I'm a sinner, I need saving. Boom, get to go to heaven. Got the ticket, put it in the back pocket. Why does he want imitators, disciples, students to follow after him? Well, God's plan for the world is not just to save people from their sins, but his plan is to remake a broken world. God's plan is not just to save people from the penalty of their sin, but to remake a broken world, beginning with each one of our lives. You know the story at the beginning of the Bible of Adam and Eve. They were created in harmony and fellowship and friendship with God. But they brought disorder into that by disobeying what he said. They broke the rules, they broke... You know, they transgress, and as a result, from that time forward, each one of us has been born into a world of disorder, destruction, and mess. And that's what the Bible calls sin. So we have this mess and this disorder and this destruction, and it's not just out there, if we're honest with ourselves. It's in here, too. Each one of us. Tony Reiki um, says it like this. This is what he says sin is. It's a helpful definition. Sin is the disordering of what was once beautiful and harmonious. Individually, we were created to serve God, but sin confused everything, tangling our hearts with pride and false idols and false securities and false saviors, all knotted together into one disordered mess from which we cannot free ourselves. You see, sin doesn't just cut us off from God. It ruins our lives as well. It makes us all knotted and tangled up. It destroys our relationships. It can limit our work prospects. It can ruin us financially. It can make us lose what is most dear to us. 
Have you experienced the effect, the tangling, the knotting up of your life because of sin in one circumstance or another? And so that is why Jesus calls the disciples to make disciples and not just decisions. Because Jesus' plan for the world is to remake broken lives. Is to begin the untangling process, the unknotting process of all the disorder and sin, and actually put lives back together again. God doesn't, He's not, He's so merciful, He doesn't just save us, but He actually frees us from all the disorder and the entanglement within us. Tony Reiki again says it like this Only by grace do we find a great physician committed to untangling our disordered hearts. And so we see the grace of discipleship. We see we're called to follow Jesus. He says, lay down everything and follow me. If you're not willing to give up your life, you're not able to become a disciple of Christ. So it's a high, a high calling, a high standard. For each one of us, if you're a Christian, that's what you're called to. If you're investigating Christianity, that's the calling. Change your entire life and follow this guru, so to speak. Follow this teacher. But in that high calling is grace upon grace. Because as we go about it, the great saviour of our souls changes us from the inside out. You see, Christianity is primarily an inside religion that works its way out. Our internal problem before a holy God is that we're sinful. And even after we become followers of Christ, it still remains. And so God promises to untangle the lusts and the pride and the impatience and the selfishness and the greed from within so that we change on the outside. And bit by bit, person by person, Jesus' plan is to remake a broken world. And so by becoming a disciple, by actually choosing Jesus as your teacher, as your Lord, as your, as your one to follow, not only do you get salvation from sin, not only is the penalty of sin, hell and judgment and death that stands upon you completely painful, you get a new life, the beginning of a new life that you'll experience for all eternity in God's presence. Do you want this? Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you're not yet following him, I urge you and encourage you to do that, to consider that. It's a high calling, but the payoff is epic. And for those of us who are disciples of Christ, let's be reminded that that is God's great plan for the world. He doesn't just want our friends and family saved. He wants them freed from all that holds them back, from all that destroys them from within. He's remaking a broken world, one disciple at a time. So that is why Jesus says, go into all nations and make disciples. Make little followers of me. So that's point number one, the requirement of discipling the found. Now say that happens, okay? So say uh, maybe you're you and you become a Christian, what, what happens next? Or you lead someone to follow Jesus. How do you actually disciple someone? Turn it into a verb. How do you actually take someone who's not yet a follower of Jesus 
and actually help them step by step start to follow Jesus. What does it take? Well, that's point number two. The process of discipling the found. The first thing, the first thing, I'm going to go through five things just briefly, and this will just help us practically to know, and if you're not yet a Christian, you can look on and think, oh, do I want to be involved in this or not? You can think about it. But the first thing that Jesus says about discipling, or disciple making, is that it requires teaching. Let's look at the verse once again. Go therefore and make disciples, make little followers of me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So when you become a Christian, you get baptized. That's the first thing you do because it identifies you with Jesus. It says, I'm one of his. But then look at the next thing. So you make disciples, you baptize them, and then, verse 20, <coughs> teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The first thing about disciple making is that new disciples need teaching. They need instruction. Just like me at Barker, I needed induction into the Barker way of life and how to be a teacher. Each one of us, anyone new to the faith, anyone we bring along, needs teaching. It's all new to them. They, they got, they don't, how are they meant to know it unless someone teaches them? And so the logic of Jesus' mission is to save and then instruct. You don't have to have it all together to become a Christian. You don't have to know how to read a Bible or to flick open to a page or how to sing or what church looks like to be a Christian. You can come in as a novice and then all the instruction follows. He says three things in that verse. First thing he says, teach them. So obviously we need teaching and someone needs to do it. So for the 11 disciples after Jesus went into heaven, they went from being students to becoming teachers. And the ball was in their hands and they had to go. It was them. No, they had no, no one else. Number two, it says teach them to obey. So they're not just to be taught, but they're to taught to obey. And the Christian faith is not just a worldview um, that you can, you know, kind of investigate and think about. It requires whole of life obedience. Jesus' teaching is not just nice words uh, that can be you know, investigated or thought about, but he requires all those who want to be followers of him to obey him. So the disciples teach them what Jesus taught them and then call them to obedience. And point number three, he said, uh, the third thing he says in that verse is, teach them all I have commanded. We all want to be selective with which parts of the Bible and which parts of the Christian faith we think are acceptable or modern enough or you know, palatable enough. But to tr make true disciples of Jesus, we have to teach them to obey everything. And that's the challenging thing about Christianity. You can find little bits of Christianity which fit with your worldview, and it'll never challenge you. But all I have commanded challenges people on the left and the right, the rich and the poor, the you know, the educated and uneducated, uneducated. Everyone is challenged by Jesus. So how do we make disciples? Well, it requires teaching. We all begin as novices, and it takes a lifetime to grow. You don't have to have it all together. That's the beauty of Jesus' way. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to be willing. Willing to learn, willing to listen, willing to obey. Secondly, the, the second way Jesus' plan to remake a broken world and make disciples 
is that it requires the church. It requires the church. You see, lost sheep need a herd, and they need a shepherd. And that's what the local church is. The, lost, the local church is a gathering of little sheep, and then pastors are little shepherds that aim to help the new believers experience the joy of community and the joy of the Christian life together. From the earliest time, those 11 disciples, they went out in the very, you know, 40 days after Jesus left them, they went out and they started preaching the gospel. And you see in Acts chapter 2, all these people became Christians all in one go, thousands of them. And then what did they do? They started to gather just like this in little churches all around Jerusalem. Let's read it. Acts chapter 2. So Peter preaches and then it says this. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So you got the pattern. Preach the gospel, make disciples, they're baptized. And then verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And that continues on. That's the pattern throughout the whole New Testament. Preach the gospel, people get saved, they gather into a little community. Which is why we're here today. Even though COVID, even though all the mess, even though trying to make this all work, because we're here to gather. That's how we're made into disciples. Because when we're here on a Sunday, when we gather as a church community, the word is preached. And we get to actually hear Jesus' commands and learn what they are so we can observe all that he commanded. We get to sing the word of God. So in all those songs, you'll find like every verse has a Bible verse reference that you can look up. So you actually learn how to become a disciple by the songs that we sing. We eat the word. Um, if you, we, every you know, month we do what's called communion, where we break little bits of bread and we take little bits of grape juice, and it's a symbol of Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins. And we need to be reminded all the time that we are sinners in need of saving, and so we gather as churches to break bread and to remind ourselves of his broken body and blood shed. When we serve and use our gifts as a congregation, as new disciples, it teaches us that to be like Jesus. Because what was Jesus like? He was a servant, right? Mark chapter 10 says this, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that is Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It's going to sound strange, but one of the things I was most anxious for in the time we were isolated and not meeting as a church is the reality that a lot of us weren't serving we weren't laying down our preferences in our life for the sake of others. And that helps us, that you know, has the ongoing effect of forgetting who we are. We're followers of Jesus, the king of the universe who became lower than the worst criminal dying on the cross. As we gather, we learn all these things. That's why discipleship, discipling new believers requires the church. And one little final one in that is, is fellowship. Actually, gathering in a room like this is really weird because we're not all got the same backgrounds, we don't all have the same preferences, we don't all have the same ways of viewing the world, the same finances, education. But when we gather, when we gather under Jesus Christ, we're reminding ourselves that we are united not because of preference, but because of our teacher, Jesus Christ. 
And being disciples brings us together under him. And you can't do that online. Everyone can watch their own favourite show on Netflix and you can sort of be connected because you like the same show. But when you gather in church, you have to actually sit next to people and talk to people and serve with people who are really different from you. That's one of the key things that Jesus does in the world is he brings different people together and makes them one and unified. It's beautiful. So firstly, the disciple to found, it requires teaching. You've got to teach. Neither. Secondly, it requires the church. And the church is sort of like swimming between the flags. You know, it doesn't do everything for you, but if you come to church and you participate in a local community, you're way safer than if you're swimming out on your own on the rocks. You know, it's like Bondi Rescue. They're always telling people, swim between the flags, go between the flags. Why? Because it's the safest spot. It's the easiest spot to be caught and to be seen and to be helped. And that's how church works. It's like swimming between the flags. Every little sheep needs the herd, needs a shepherd. And so if you lead someone to Christ, the best place to bring them is a local church. They need it. It's for their soul. It's for every, all their discipleship is going to happen in this context, or most of Okay, third. Third thing, discipling the found requires the individual. So it requires the group, the church, everyone, but it also requires the individual. You see, we all need to take personal responsibility for our discipleship. We all need to take responsibility for our own personal growth. You can't disciple someone who doesn't want to be discipled. And you can't grow unless you want to grow. And so the key thing to growing and learning and being a follower of Jesus is humbling yourself and saying, I need help. Will someone please teach me? Will someone please invest in my life? I've got these struggles. I've got these messes. I've got these knots. I've got these tangles. Help me. Not only does it take individual responsibility for your own growth, it also takes individual training of one another. A lot happens in the Sunday gathering, but it doesn't do all that we need. And so it takes individuals within the church to help other individuals become more like Jesus. Jesus' command to make disciples and teach them all that you know, he commanded so that they may observe wasn't just for the pastors to do on a Sunday, it's for the whole church to take up. So each one of us needs discipling, and each one of us ought to be discipling one another. It's the great thing about life groups that we do during the week is we gather and we're discipling one another. Every parent, you're discipling your own children, first and foremost. Married couples, you're discipling one another. It takes the group, the church, and it takes the individual. And that pattern is all the way through Scripture. I won't go into details there, but you can think about Paul and Timothy. And even Timothy and his grandmother, she discipled him. We all need someone to disciple us. And we all need to be discipling someone else. So how do you actually go about discipling someone if you someone wanted to? Well, it's pretty simple. Most of Jesus' teaching was done walking, going into places, eating meals with other people. And so just do what Jesus did. Follow your master. Hang out with people. Go for coffee. Read a book together. Read a passage of the Bible. Have a pray. 
and hope for the best, you know, pray to God and just, it takes time. And that leads us to our fourth point. Discipling the found requires time. So it requires teaching, it needs intentional instruction. It requires the church, we need the gathering. It requires individuals, but it requires time. Growing and following Jesus Christ isn't microwave. It's, you know, it's slow-cooked, offset, smoker, beef, rib, 12-hour kind of deal. That's, that's the Christian life. It's even longer than that. It, you know, it's, it, it's, it takes forever. Um, John Newton says it like this. He's the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. He says, Remember, the growth of a believer is not like a mushroom, but like an oak, which increases slowly, indeed, but surely. Many suns, showers, and frosts pass upon it before it comes to perfection. And in winter, when it seems dead, it is gathering strength at the root. Be humble and watchful. Well, that's better. Shouldn't be doing that the whole time. Be humble and watchful and diligent in the means and endeavor to look through all and fix your eyes on Jesus and all shall be well. It takes time. I mean, if you've been following Jesus you know, for a while, you know it just takes time to grow. And sometimes you think, what's going on? Everything's getting worse. I thought following Jesus meant to make things better, but why am I still sinning? Why are these sufferings come? It's because God is remaking a broken world, but he's making oak trees, not little mushroom fields. And the oak tree, once it grows and strengthens over time through obedience and through the seasons of life, is immovable and unshakable. So the Christian life begins with bowing your knees to Jesus, and it continues with continual daily bowing our knees to Jesus, slow but steady growth. It's likely to be uncomfortable. It's likely to be awkward. It's likely to be painful at times, sacrificial. It's going to take the church. It's going to take individuals. And it's going to take time. It's sort of a bit like weeding. You know, last winter when we moved into our place in Northmead, all these winter weeds were coming up and bindies, so I got out the weed and feed, the buffalo-only weed and feed, and I was spraying the grass, and I was pulling the bindies up. I was like, oh, great, done. And then I was just out there while I was writing a sermon on, on uh, Thursday or Friday, and I looked down, and I was like, no, there's bindies all throughout my grass again. How did that happen? Well, that's what the Christian life is like. You think you've got one thing sorted, and you focus on one area, and you come back, and then it's all gone wrong again. And That's just the process. It takes time, the growth is slow, but over time, oak trees are built. And finally, oh, actually, I actually want to read this quote from Tony Reinke. There's no secret to maturity in the Christian life. It's reached through a Christian's consistent application of the means of grace. Things like church and Bible reading and prayer. In years and years of need. Sink your spiritual expectations to the leisurely agricultural pace of God. Live simply and live patiently, knowing that God is growing you for the ages. I love that. If you're new to Christian faith, it's a slow and long journey. If you're trying to help people grow in the church, it's a slow and long journey. Sink your expectations to God's slow agricultural pace. And knowing that gives you grace 
of mistakes and failures and hope for the future, knowing, oh, maybe they're getting stronger, becoming more like an oak tree. And finally, number five, so we have, how do we disciple? If we're called to disciple, we need to teach. That's the number one thing. We need the church. We need individual responsibility. We need time. So finally, discipling the found requires Jesus. <laughs> he's the one that we're following. He's the, he's the rabbi. He's the teacher. He's the guru. So we need Jesus. And listen to what he says at the end of this great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We cannot make disciples or be disciples by our own power. And that's the beauty of Jesus' way. He promises to be present with us. He promises to give himself, even though he rules and reigns in heaven, he is present with those who follow him. And so as we go out as a church on mission, or as you investigate whether or not you want to become a Christian, know this, if you follow Jesus, you have him with you. We don't have to strain out disciples. We don't have to strain through the Christian life, making the fruit grow. We abide in Jesus Christ, and he produces the fruit within us, which helps us to take a big breath and relax and enjoy the process. Because ultimately, we can't do it without him, and so we rest in him and completely depend upon him. So this is what we're going to do as a church. We seek the lost like Jesus sought the lost. We preach the powerful gospel and see people saved. And then we induct them into the Christian faith. We disciple those who are found. And we do this because Jesus' plan is not just to save souls, but to remake the broken world, to untangle our hearts. He doesn't want to leave us in our mess. He wants us to experience the best way to live. And he's the only one that knows that. So out of his grace, he says... Make disciples, not just decisions. And we get to enjoy all the fruit of that as we do it. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray and ask that you would help us as a church to be joining in your mission to make disciples and not just decisions. To help being a part of remaking a broken world. God, we confess that we're tangled up and disordered on the inside. We've got mess, we've got things that we keep on doing in, in our sin and in our pride and our selfishness and our greed, the, the conflicts we have in our marriages and our friendships, and the way we waste time, all these things, Lord, we're a mess even after we follow you. We confess that, Lord, and ask that you would remake us, untangle us, teach us to follow your way. We pray and ask that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit to give us power for the process and hope for change. Lord, would you help us as a church to be a part of this mission? And will we do it all for your glory? And will we experience the joy of seeing lives change, of seeing hearts untangled and knots come undone, and people start to walk in step with you, becoming more and more like your son? Lord, would you disciple Paramount? And would we be joyfully a part of that? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.